This is the Shit You Need to Know podcast. I'm your host, Martha Riley. I'm a TEDx speaker, cheese pizza lover, and master human connector. I help introverts, people with social anxiety, and awkward humans of the world find confidence, connection, and their cool factor. Because have you ever been to a party and someone asked you a question that you didn't know the answer to? Yeah, me too. It fucking sucks. But that's where I come in. I'm asking the questions so you'll have the answers. So sit back, relax, because there's shit we need to know. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Shit You Need to Know podcast. This week we are back with another finance episode, but it's not just, you know, personal finance, me yelling at you to get your life in order and to get a budget. It is actually all about couples finances, but we'll get to that in a moment. First, I want to start off with a question. Big surprise, I know. So the question this week is, have you ever been to a convention? So what do I mean by that? I've been to like a Tony Robbins convention. I have been to, well, that's it. I guess like a work convention. But in two weeks, I am going to Nashville for a Game of Thrones convention. And I am so excited. I'm going to meet all these cool people that I've met, you know, like online. Um, I sound like a total nerd right now, but I do not care. I'm so excited. Uh, So my question is, have you ever done something like that? Or, you know, would that ever interest you? I'm curious. You can find me on Instagram at RealMarthaRiley. And as usual, the poll drops Wednesday. So, back to the interview. We have Grace Pomeroy today, and she is a financial educator, blogger, and coach. She really, her goal is to make finance not so difficult. Because I know, for me, I look at the amount of debt I have, and I immediately shut down. And I don't, I I couldn't even imagine if both of you and your partner had student loan, I think I'd probably collapse from... I would just freak the fuck out. That's a lot of debt. Um, But her approach is to make that all super easy for you to understand, super easy to talk about, um, and really makes you aware of what you have going on. Uh, Grace has by far been one of my favorite interviews. She is local to Minneapolis here, and she's just like super cool, you guys. Um, You should definitely follow her on Instagram. I will drop those links in the show notes. Uh, she's just fascinating. Like she's a really cool person and I learned a ton from this interview as usual. It is definitely classified as shit you need to know. So if you are someone that is dating someone or married or stuff like that, uh, in a relationship, so to speak, and you want to talk about finances and you don't know where to start, this is the interview for you. So Grace, take it away. My name is Grace Pomeroy, and I'm a financial educator, speaker, and coach. And my passion is to help people make money their friend in life, work, and love. And my biggest interest right now is really in helping couples have more open and honest conversations about money, with money being one of the largest causes of divorce. I think it's so important that couples are willing to have those open conversations because the cause of divorce isn't lack of money. It's actually just not being on the same page about money. And it seems like many couples 
girls kind of want to put off that conversation or they aren't really willing to delve deeply into it because they have some maybe money discrepancies between the two of them or they're nervous about talking about money themselves. And so being able to go into that conversation as a third party, help couples to come together and really see each other's perspective and see the gifts and strength that each other brings so that they can get on the same page about where they are today and where they're going in the future is a huge passion of mine and been so enjoyable. And how did you get into this field? Did you just sort of fall into it or is this something you've been interested in for a while? Yeah, so I would say I definitely fell into it. (laughs) Um, I was telling someone the other day that if you had told me that I would be a financial coach when I was a little kid, I would have laughed at you. There are plenty of other careers that I was interested in, but one in finance wasn't necessarily one that I immediately thought was going to be my vocation in the future. My biggest experience with finance um, came kind of in two different ways. The first was I actually ended up studying math in college because my dad told me that I needed to have a good fallback option. I was originally studying religion, and he's like, I don't know really where you're going to go with that or what career paths you have, so I think you need a good fallback major. So I studied math and studied math of finance as part of that major and really enjoyed it and loved the intricacies of it, but didn't really know what I'd do with it. And then when I went on to graduate school, I worked with a financial coach because during the first week of graduate school, they said, one of the resources you have is free financial coaching available to you. And I was completely clueless. I was out on my own for the first time as a graduate student. My parents had let me know that I was going to be paying a larger portion of the bills that they had usually been paying while I was in college. And so I was just like, I need somebody to help me figure this out. And by working with this coach, she was five years my senior, also had gone to this graduate school, it really opened my eyes to how much money can absolutely get in the way of your goals. But if it's done right, money can be something that's clarifying for you. Putting together a budget can help you see where you can be sharing, saving, and spending in your life with intention, even if you've got a tiny little budget like I did during grad school. And learning those skills early has helped frame the rest of my financial life up and really the rest of my adult life because I have a sense of where my money is going early on and what I really care about when I don't have very much. And as my income has grown, I've kept those same values and been able to just expand it over time. So working with this coach was incredibly transformative for me. So transformative that I told a few colleagues and some of my professors, I was like, I really want to share everything that I've learned about budgeting and emergency funds and just great tips for how to be able to go out and enjoy your time with friends without spending a whole bunch of cash with people that I know. So I decided to become a financial blogger. I started a blog just Uh, for free, not intending to make any money, and just started writing for the other graduate students in my community, sharing with them what I've learned. And if people ask me questions about something I didn't know, I did the research, talked to some other people, and wrote about those topics as well. And I did that for a couple of years and really, really enjoyed that experience of just being able to share what my life was like and what I was learning, not from an expert, I have all the certifications and degrees perspective, but just from the perspective of someone who was going through it, walking alongside of them as a friend. And after that period of time of being a blogger, I was invited to become the financial educator of the organization that I work for today. Um, They wanted someone with speaking skills and someone who knew how to bring this topic of money to the masses. So I took a risk and took that job in the financial education field after doing something different prior to that 
And it really just opened my eyes to how much education is needed in the area of finance. And I just had a blast helping people who are preparing for retirement and also helping people like myself who are just starting out in their career and everybody in between. I feel like dads are the type of people that are always going to be like, no, you shouldn't do that because my dad was the exact same way. I went to business school and I'm very glad that I did, but I'm like, well, what if I had followed my passions? Where would that have led me? Um, so th I think that's really funny, actually. <laughs> it is so funny. Like, I feel like I've essentially come full circle in a lot of ways because when I was a little kid, one thing that I wanted to be was a teacher, especially an elementary school teacher. And at that time, my dad said, I feel like you have, you have so many gifts and I just don't want you to short sight yourself by looking at just one career. And now I'm a financial educator. So in some ways, I feel like his advice was incredibly helpful in moving me forward to finding my space in that education marketplace. But at the time, I know I was a little bit resentful of like, oh, I have to take on another major just so I can satisfy what he might be interested in. But now I'm very, very grateful that he pushed me in that direction. Well, hey, there's a happy ending. <laughs> yeah. Um, when you started out learning about budgeting and stuff, I feel like I just sounded really Canadian right there, but I'm, I'm not Canadian. I don't know why, where that came from. But when you started out doing all this finance stuff and learning about it, were you in a good position or were you sort of coming to it as a last resort? Sure. So it's kind of a tricky question to answer, but let me set the stage for you a bit. So when I started graduate school, I moved into a room that was about half the size of my college dorm room. That was the size of the dorm rooms on my graduate school campus. I often say I lived in a room the size of a broom closet and had a budget about the size of a broom closet too, because I was living off of my really stellar salary as a camp counselor from the past summer. <laughs> um, so I would say, um, just by numerical standards, I was in a pretty poor financial position and I didn't have very much money. I had friends who were in their first full-time job, so they were really excited to be able to go out for drinks and go out for dinner and enjoy the city. And I'm sitting there in a room the size of the broom closet with so much homework and so little money to be able to do those things. That being said, I think one of the gifts of seeking out a financial coach early on was that I didn't have a lot of preconceived notions about money and how money worked. Um, I grew up in a household where we did talk some about money, especially about giving money and saving money. So I had some of those foundations early on and I didn't have any negative money messaging. And the only debt that I had was student loan debt. So I'd say I was kind of in a mixed position but I was open to the idea of somebody helping me along because honestly, I felt financially clueless. I'm sure we all do. I, I did a poll on Instagram a while ago and I was like, okay, would you rather talk about dating or would you rather talk about money? And it was like all, mostly all money. So I think a lot of people my age are in the same position. So I think we definitely need people like you who have figured it out to teach us. Um, and you mentioned like preconceived notions that you didn't have because you, you know, you grew up in a household, but what are some of the, um, more detrimental money mindsets that we have that we maybe don't even realize? Yeah, absolutely. I would say the biggest one that I hear all the time, I swear it comes up at least once or twice a week when I'm chatting with people, whether that's people through my business or just chatting with friends is people constantly say, I'm bad with money. I'm not good with money. I don't like money. Those are three things that I think hold us back from having a relationship with money. And now I've kind of started 
just kind of let it go because usually they were trying to turn it into a compliment of, oh, at least Grace, you're talking about money because so many people need it. Like people like, and asking them questions like, well, what do you mean by that? What do you mean you're bad with money? Um, this actually happened in Vancouver and we were getting our rental car. And of course, for the rental car form, they have to ask you what you do for a living. And so I said I was a financial educator and the woman was like, oh, well, I guess people need that. Like, especially people like me, because I'm not very good with money. I said, well, what do you mean by that? Um, which is probably a brave question to ask someone you've never met before, but I thought I'd give it a try. And she said, well, I just really like to spend it. And that's another thing that I hear a lot is that people think they're bad with money because they enjoy spending it. And in my mind, spending is not the enemy of saving or the enemy of giving or the enemy of acquiring money. Spending is a part of a well-rounded financial life. Now, of course, you can't spend money on anything and everything. That would be detrimental. But for those people who like to spend, they usually assume that they have no way to be good with money. And in fact, I think spenders have some real gifts and strengths to bring to the money conversation because they know how to make the most of their money today. And for someone like me, who's naturally kind of a saver and a giver, I think it's so important to have spenders in our life because they remind us that you've got to focus on more than just the future and others around you who are in need. You have to find ways to be able to use this money to bring you joy that matches up with your values. So I would say those are some of the common ones that I hear. Um, I also tend to hear from folks who are in debt, um, who have a lot of shame around money or were previously in debt and they don't feel like they can ever be good with money again because they went through this indebted experience. And in fact, I think those who are in debt are often for the most part, depending on where they're at, if they've kind of acknowledged that their debt exists, I think that's a helpful step. Um, I think they're some of the best with money because they've really had to learn how to budget, especially if they've gotten out of debt. Clearly, they've made some positive financial moves. And so I think they have a lot of a good story to share. So it's about, I think, creating those experiences where you take what you've actually learned about loving to spend or getting into debt and transforming that into life lessons that shape your financial life rather than living in a state of guilt and shame around what you've done in the past, if you do have stories like that in the past. Um, one other thing that I hear quite often too, especially from people in the situation I was in when I first got into my relationship with a financial coach is I don't have enough money for that. I don't have enough money for that. And I've really had to change my language around that because that was my excuse. My entire time in graduate school and even after I got my first job, if I didn't want to spend money on something, I just said, well, I don't have, I can't afford that. I don't have money for that. And instead, I've had to say, well, does that really match my values? Does that align with my values? When a friend asks me to go out for dinner and I immediately get nervous about whether or not I have enough money or maybe I just really don't want to go out for dinner and I use that as an excuse, I really need to step back and say, what's most important here? If I value that friendship, maybe I can say, hey, I'd love to have you come over for dinner and make dinner for you. So instead of saying I can't afford that and pushing the opportunity aside, really being proactive about investigating the why behind the what. What's really going on here? Is it a values-based decision? Is it a fear-based decision? How am I approaching the situation? And how can I make sure that my values, my value of that friendship, is the thing that comes out first and foremost and not using money as an excuse? What are some other ways that you can support friends going through this? Because I know you talk a lot about um, relationships in terms of dating and being married, but I think friends are another important relationship to have because I'm that friend who's in debt. So how can my friends best support me as I'm going through this? 
Yeah, absolutely. So I think it depends first on how honest you want to be about where you are financially. But I think being honest with your close friends and people you trust is really important so that they know where you're at. So that if you're in this in debt, in a debt repayment process, you can honestly say, I'm working towards this goal. I'm putting a lot of money towards it and I don't have a lot of money for extras. I'm not assuming what your situation is, Martha, but just putting that out as an example and being able to say to them, you know, I may not have as much money to go to concerts or to do this or to do that, but I still really value our relationship. And I'd appreciate if you would partner with me by helping me find some opportunities for us to still grow our friendship and have fun and enjoy the city that doesn't cost a lot of money. Um, something that I do and I would certainly recommend to others, um, currently, uh, this has certainly switched around over the years, but when it comes to our close friends, my husband and I right now are in some of the, the better financial position. And so something we've done is just try to be really intentional that when we ask them to do things with us, we're taking into account the price or we're giving them a couple of different choices at different price points so that they have the ability to choose for themselves what works best for them. And occasionally we do offer to pay as well, not in a pejorative way, but because at least in my experience when I was in graduate school, a lot of my friends who were making more money ended up paying for me sometimes when we went out. And I was very appreciative of that. And I want to give back to others too. That's great. I, I love that. I think that's really important. And I think I will certainly be mindful of that going forward. Um, and now let's maybe talk about the different stages of relationships and how money relates to it. So let's just go one by one. So say someone has just started dating and, you know, you go, you go on a date and then the awkward question comes up, like, do we split the bill? Do we, you know, do I pay for it? Do you get it the next time? What are some good ways to like not make that, you know, reaching for the check so awkward and other things we should think about when we first start dating? Sure. So all I can think of as you're talking about this is that when I first started dating my now husband, I think I was a really terrible example <laughs> because I was so focused on money because this was just after I you know, started working with a financial coach. I guess I've been working with her for about a year and a half. So money was completely on my radar screen. I was a financial blogger. And I think I asked about money probably on like the third or fourth date and we started having really deep conversations about our money differences. I wouldn't necessarily recommend that as a model for anyone, <laughs> but for me, it was a huge interest. I mean, and for me, it was in one of my top non-negotiable things. You know, I wanted to make sure I was on the same page with money with my partner. And so it was something that I brought up early. As far as the check goes though, um, something my husband and I established early on in our relationship was honestly, having more um, open conversations about where we were at financially. My husband at the time that I met him was working a full-time job, was making a full-time salary. And to be honest, I thought he was the richest guy that I ever met. That was not true. Um, but in my mindset, as someone who is just kind of working a student worker job on the side, um, in addition to finishing up graduate school and was counting pennies every week, I thought, wow, this guy, he has, he has money to be able to share and spend. So I think for the most part, if I remember right, um, my husband ended up paying for a lot more of our um, dates and things early on, mainly because he had more money to put in, although we definitely tried to split the bill. But there were times, I remember one of our key dates going out to the melting pot. Um, I thought we were just going to do something small, but he decided he wanted for us to kind of enjoy the full buffet of what melting pot had to offer. And I got really nervous about it because I knew I couldn't pay the other half of that bill. And I just said to him, you know, I, I just, I can't, 
I can't do that. You know, I can't, um, I can't afford this right now, but I hope to be able to in the future. And he said, you know, let me, let this be my treat. Um, so I think if there are ways after the first couple of dates to have some of those more open conversations, all the better. Um, I tend to be someone I'm, when I was dating to let, um, to let someone else pick up that first bill, especially if they asked me out. But I think if I were to go back now, I probably would be more amenable to splitting the bill as we go throughout the relationship. And if someone else wanted to intentionally treat them, like my husband did for me at the melting pot and say that out loud, you know, this is my treat today, um, I think that's really good. And the sooner you can establish that, the better. Um, I know we're talking about dating, but just as an aside, that's also something that I do with friends. Um, coming up in a few weeks, we're taking a couple of our good friends out for dinner. And we've just said from the get-go, like, we are going to take the check this time for these reasons. We're celebrating your birthday. We would like to do this as a treat for you. And I think the sooner you can establish that, even on the second, third, or fourth date of like, this is my treat for you, the better. That way you're not sitting there awkwardly wondering whether or not you can take the bill. Um, the onus is already off. The pressure is off so you can actually enjoy the date and not keep wondering about it. That's great. That's really nice. I hope to do that for my friends in the future. Um, not right now, but... <laughs> eventually. <laughs> right, eventually. I actually remember going on a date and the guy made a huge show about how he believed in equality and he doesn't pay for the first date because he thinks women should be able to pay for themselves. I'm like, cool, dude, that's nice. But can you like pick this up? Like, I thought we yeah. were, I don't know. It was like very odd and like, maybe don't do that. <laughs> I definitely don't think that's a good idea. I would say another thing I would say is you know, if, if someone else has invited you out, they have a specific sense of where they're going, what they're doing, and, you know, they've made a plan. And hopefully that's a plan where they can cover the bill. And I would say for maybe the next date or the subsequent date, maybe you can be the one to take the onus to say, all right, we're going out again. I'd like to do X, Y, and Z. I'm going to be taking on the bill this time. Yeah, because I think that's a little bit odd. <laughs> I mean, I'm all up for equality, but at the same time, like you don't want to throw somebody under the bus after you've already had hopefully a nice date together. And now you're just sitting there awkwardly about who's going to actually pick this up. Yeah, it was weird. <laughs> um, so I, and I think that maybe brings us to the next stage of the relationship. Maybe you've been dating for a few years and, you know, or you're engaged. When is a good point to start meshing your finances. And I know some people never do, um, but what's like an objective look at getting engaged, you're starting to merge everything together. What's good conversations to have about doing that for finance? Yeah, absolutely. So because you brought up in meshing your finances, I just wanted to bring out my point that I often share with people, which is that I don't have a particular opinion when it comes to having joint accounts, separate accounts, or a hybrid. Um, I think that's the choice of every couple, how they decide to do that and when they decide to do that. The biggest thing that you have to do though, and this relates um, to being engaged or dating for a few years, is making sure that you're on the same page and making sure that you're aware of the accounts that your spouse has out there or your future spouse or your girlfriend or boyfriend has out there, I think is really, really important. At the kind of few years in stage, I would say, um, start having some gentle conversations about what you have out there for yourself. So share with your spouse or your future spouse first of saying, hey, I just wanted to share with you what I have going on in my financial life. I want to share with you about the debt that I'm bringing in, the income that I'm bringing in, 
and maybe also about other accounts that you might have out there. If you have inheritance money, if you have other retirement or investment accounts, um, and just do that slowly, one piece at a time, sharing as much information as you're comfortable with. And generally, that kind of sharing honestly from you will prompt your partner to want to share honestly themselves. But I would say once you get to either two points, moving in together or engagement, that should be the time where you begin asking questions of your partner if they have not openly shared with you. Because getting all those pieces out on the table is incredibly important as you're making those life-changing decisions. Because as you're moving in together or looking forward to getting engaged, you're beginning to join assets with this person. You're beginning to pair your name with theirs. So you need to know what else is on the table in terms of credit score and debt other pieces like that. So I would say just begin the conversation slowly. And I often tell people too, as you're in that dating relationship, going from the third date in all the way now to a few years out, just pay attention. Pay attention to when are they picking up the check. Pay attention to how many credit cards are in their wallet when they're opening it up. I'm not asking you to be hyper vigilant or <laughs> you know, scared of what's to come, but just Paying attention when they bring up stories about their parents and how their parents handled money, listen to that. Or when they're particularly excited about money coming into their life or a savings goal, pay attention, ask good questions. Get to know your partner's money personality and money style. And once you have that kind of qualitative data, then once you're kind of making more of a commitment, getting this quantitative data to back it up is important as well. Cool. That's great advice. Uh, this is the part in the show where I just ask you three fun questions because, um, I don't know, I just think it's fun to get to know you a little bit more. Um, the first question I have is, what is the most embarrassing thing that has happened to you that you're willing to share? <laughs> oh, yeah. Trying to think of a good one. Most embarrassing thing that has happened to me I would say, this is probably a dumb one, but it's the first thing that comes to mind now, and I know this is kind of a rapid fire round, is um, when I was younger, when I was in elementary school, at my church, some property got damaged. We were playing a game, and this map that was on the wall, a piece of it came off of it, and it was probably not that big of a deal, but to a kid at the time, it was a huge deal, and it was my fault. And instead of acknowledging that it was my fault, I threw my best friend under the bus, because to be honest, she was probably more likely to be the culprit, so everyone believed me. But somehow, my parents figured out, probably from my guilt and shame actions, that it was me and they called me on the carpet about it and I had to apologize publicly about it and it was just incredibly embarrassing and just so stupid. It was such a stupid thing for me to do. When I was in third grade, <laughs> I got in trouble for going to the library or like we went to the library as a class, but then I stayed back after because I wanted to keep reading and then I convinced a friend to stay back with me and we were like, we didn't show up to class. And they're like, where's Martha? Um, but then I got in trouble and they're like, whose fault really was this? And I was like, it was mine. And they're like, yeah, that's what we thought. I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm not that bad of a kid that I would like purposely skip class. I don't know. Um, and then they like, they called my dad and my dad just starts laughing. He's like, she got in trouble for going to the library. <laughs> <laughs> I know I was such a nerdy kid still am but <laughs> uh, next question is what is your favorite frozen pizza Ooh, so I have to tell you I don't eat frozen pizza very often but as a kid we always had DiGiorno 
pepperoni pizza on Friday nights. It was the only time that we got to eat up in our TV room and not at our dining room table. So while I no longer get frozen pizza very often, unless I'm getting it for my husband while I'm out speaking, uh, that pizza has very fond memories for me. Yum, that sounds good. Last question, and this is kind of a broader one, but what does human connection mean to you? So I would say if you had asked me that question um, even a couple months back, I would say that it was the one-on-one face-to-face connections that I was having um, with good friends of mine, whether that's over brunch um, with a friend who lives in the cities or a two-hour chat on the phone to one of my best friends that lives in Denver. That's what it looked like. And now um, getting into this entrepreneurial space, I have seen that human connection means so many different things. I mean, for getting to know people through Instagram and through text message um, has been such a big deal. There are so many people now that I know from around the world. I recently did a live with someone from Nigeria who I just met via Instagram. She and I chatted via WhatsApp once on the phone and then we did a live together. And I feel so connected with her, even though we've never met in person. And I think so often people throw technology under the bus is how it's disconnecting people. But at least in the last couple of months, I've seen ways that that technology can bring us closer together, encourage us as we're making these brave choices in growing businesses or just brave choices in our life in general. Um, So I would say it it takes a variety of forms, but um, even Instagram direct messaging can be a really good way to form relationships. Hey, that's how we met. <laughs> I know, that's what I was thinking. We haven't even met in person. We probably know. closer than we think. Yeah, that's really funny. That's a really good answer. I didn't think about that because I feel like I grew up on social media, so I, I sometimes I forget that a lot of people haven't. Um, not not saying that you're like super old or anything. It's not the type, <laughs> but I, it's just it's interesting to me how I view it as a tool, and some people are like, "Oh, you can't get off Instagram. Like, ugh, you spend too much time on your phone." Well, and the other piece of it for me is I have been on social media since I went to college. I was a pretty big late bloomer when it came to social media. And I had a friend in high school who kind of forced me to get on Facebook before I went to college so she and I could still connect. But I've always been, up until a few months ago, a social media watcher and not a social media engager. And I think there are a lot of people, even if they've been around social media for a long time, that fall into that camp like I do, where you're just kind of scrolling, you're liking things, you maybe comment if it's a really good friend of yours, but you're not actively involved in the conversation. And I would encourage those folks, um, there's certainly nothing wrong with that, but if you're interested in human connection online, one of the best ways to do that is be brave, leave a comment, Send a positive message to someone whose content you really appreciate because believe me, they probably feel just as alone as you do and they'll really appreciate your message. Uh, I guess, yeah, let's just keep going in our timeline of, you know, growing up and being in a relationship. So at this point in our relationship timeline, you are married, maybe you've been married for a few years and you maybe are looking to buy a house or another big purchase. What are some good conversations and tips to have around that type of thing? Yeah, absolutely. So I would say that period of time is around the time that I realized that my husband and I were not completely connecting around the area of money. So I might just take a moment to share more about that story. Um, So 
I, at this point, I am a financial educator, and I think that I know just about everything there is to know about money, or at least compared to my husband, who was more interested in spending the money, and he was glad we were working towards goals, but really, he was fine with just saying, you handle it, and as long as it's all taken care of, I'm fine. And I think a lot of couples are like that. They assume that money should be part of the division of labor in a relationship. You know, one person handles money, one person vacuums. And I really don't think it should be that way. Maybe one person handles the day-to-day -day operation of money. One person is checking in with bank accounts, making sure money is moving to savings like it's supposed to. But you should be meeting on a regular basis, having conversations about money. Um, whether you're engaged, you just moved in together, or you're recently married, or even if you've been married for a long time, I really encourage couples to have a monthly date night that they set up where they can talk about their money. They can check in with their budget, they can check in with their future goals, and they can have a list of all the money-related things that weren't urgent that came up that month. Like maybe you heard about a friend who had a life insurance policy and you thought, oh wait, <laughs> maybe we should get one of those. <laughs> we should put that on the list and talk about it. Or you're considering upping your retirement account or someone's just you know lost their job or got cut back on hours or maybe you got a raise. All of those things can be talked about during the context of your money date night. And during this time, I think you can just relax, focus on the money. You know that it's coming. You're not going to barrage your financially anxious partner. When my husband and I were first married, he was very anxious about money. And so whenever I talked about money, it was only when there was a problem going on. And so he got even more anxious. Oh my gosh, Grace brought up money. We're... we're <laughs> Or the ship is going down. What happened? What happened? What's going on? And I really put him in a negative place. So when I brought up this idea of doing a monthly date night, he said, great, I don't want to do it inside the house because being here gives me more distractions and makes me nervous. I'd rather go out to some place where um, we can have an enjoyable conversation. I can relax a bit. We're on neutral territory, so to speak. And, you know, we can just enjoy ourselves a little bit more. So we ended up going to the place where um, we actually had a rehearsal dinner for our wedding. It's pretty inexpensive. It's right up the street from us. And we go there for lunch once a month. And we have Arnold Palmer's and burgers. And we chat through our budget stuff. It also has free Wi-Fi. So that makes it super easy for us. But every couple's date night will look different. But I think just convening about money, having that one appointment where you can bring up all those different financial issues is good. I think that's especially important as you're thinking about buying a house or making any other large purchases, like maybe getting a new car, maybe you're going on a dream vacation. Having those check-ins along the way is really good. The other thing that I would say too is make sure that these decisions are values-based decisions. So when you're thinking about buying a house or thinking about going on a trip, step back before you take a look at the details to ask yourself, what are our values? Why are we doing this? Are we getting a house because we've been married for two years and that's what married couples are supposed to do? Or are we getting a house because we really want to be homeowners? We want to be able to customize the house to our taste. We want to have that ownership or equity piece in our house. You know, we want to be able to um, make our stamp and own property, whatever it might happen to be, or we're really committed to this community and we want to step forward in that way. Are those your reasons or is it just I'm on the nonstop train of a married couple that's going to have a dog and going to get a house and going to have kids? Um, that can be your life, but make sure that you're choosing it intentionally and not just because you feel like that's something you should do. There are lots of people who love renting for really good reasons, and that is just as much a viable option. So I would say having a values-based conversation is really good, and if you have not 
made that step to get all of your different assets out on the table before buying a home, this is the time to do it. Because to be honest, if you're co-signing that house together, your bank is going to dig up all that information anyway. So if you have that hidden debt that you haven't been telling your partner about, it's gonna come up in the process of buying a home. You wouldn't believe the things that they can find, so bring it up now to your partner, even if it's embarrassing, before the mortgage lender does, because believe me, it's gonna be a better conversation if you bring it up than if they do. Oh no, that makes me nervous. I'm not trying to buy a house anytime soon, but <laughs> I, don't, I don't want them to find how much money I owe. <laughs> <laughs> I can understand, but if you bring it up, you can share the context of how this happened. So for instance, I was chatting with someone on my Instagram live a couple of weeks ago. I think she's now probably in her 40s, but she shared how when she originally got into her marriage and in the first couple of years of college, she had debt. And it was because when she went to college, she was told she was on her own and she wanted to be fiercely independent. And at that first college fair, they were giving out credit cards like they were candy. So she took it and she thought, this is a great way for me to be independent from my parents, pay for all my college expenses. It's going to be great. But she hadn't really considered how she was going to pay that money back. And when she got into her marriage, from my understanding, she still had some of this debt but she had a real story to go along with it. I just wanted to be independent and now I'm paying it off. I've got a plan, but I need you to understand why I got into this debt. I wasn't reckless. I wasn't crazy. I just wanted to be fiercely independent about it. And I find that just about everybody I've encountered who has debt, whether it's small or large, has a story behind it. And you bringing that up and sharing that story, sharing that context is going to create empathy from your partner in a way that the mortgage lender just sharing that number right off the bat and the lender name isn't going to give to your partner. Yeah. So what have you seen and what have been your personal results from having these money dates? Do you think it's been overall positive for your relationship and you've been able to achieve more goals or is it still you know, a little bit uncomfortable to do that every month? I am being 110% honest with you, Martha. It has been a game changer in my marriage, an absolute game changer. And I'm not saying that for any marketing purposes or anything like that. That has just been our experience. Like I said before, when my husband and I used to talk about money, I didn't bring it up unless there was a serious problem or a question that I had that was really gnawing at me. And I would bring it up like in the middle of him playing a video game or whenever it was convenient for me and not convenient for him. I, I don't know how I didn't see that that was never going to create a positive situation, but it would, you know, it would explode. We would get catty towards each other. We would get into arguments that really didn't have a good basis. And now that we have this time to talk about money every single month, it keeps us on the same page. And to be honest, the biggest change for me has been I've seen my husband take what he's learned through these money date nights and take his perspective about money to the next level. He's now been the one keeping me honest about my financial goals. When I used to be the one mainly handling the money, I could, you know, um, tell myself it was okay, you know, to take a little money from the emergency fund for this expense, that's okay. Or, you know, we you know, he can't spend money on X, Y, or Z, but I can because, you know, for whatever reason. And you can make all these excuses to yourself, but when you have somebody else in the relationship, also part of your money life, you get a level of accountability that you never had before. And while that can be a little frightening for the partner who's used to handling the money and quite frankly, always being right when they're handling the money, it has been amazing. 
it's given us a whole new level of intimacy and connection. And now, to be honest, we chat about money a lot, even out of money date night, just because we're curious, because it's a topic that brings the two of us together. And now I call my husband Mr. Classy Frugalist. Um, my blog used to be Classy Frugalist. And because I think he knows just about as much about money as I do. And he's the one out kind of preaching this gospel of the fact that when you make money a tool for your life and not a barrier, it changes the way that you see your whole entire life and gives you a vision of how your goals can really come to fruition. That's great. I'm really happy to hear that. I, The last relationship I was in, we definitely never talked about that stuff. And it got a little awkward when I would want to go on vacations and I made a lot more than him. And so I'd be like, oh, can we go to Mexico or whatever? And he's like, well, I can't afford that. I'm like, well, I'll just pay for you because I wanted to go on vacation. So I, I'm sure that you know hurt his feelings on some level that I wanted to just take over the situation. So I think that's really important as I'm like heading into this next relationship I'm in to keep that in mind for as long as it goes and hopefully it's for a long time. So do you mind if I tag onto that really quick? Yeah, go for it. Um, well, one, I do hope your next relationship lasts for a long time, but something I often have to encourage, you know, couples in a long-term relationship setting is to make sure you're not just making short-term decisions, but you're making decisions with a long-term vision. So the decision you were just telling me about to just pay for your partner to go on this trip, that is incredibly generous, but ultimately might be a short-term choice because your partner has told you, I can't afford that. And what I would often suggest is if you're in this for the long-term, how do you step back and say, tell me more about that? Um, why can't you afford this trip? Is just because you don't have enough money or because you're working towards other goals? Would you value going on this trip? If it is something just for me, do you mind if I pay for you? Because it's something I value so much. Kind of digging in again to that why behind the what, uh, the values-based piece of it, of why are we spending our money in this way? And if it is something that you care about more than him and for you having your partner be able to come on this trip is important to you, then being able to um, pay for them makes a lot of sense. But your partner may initially, while it's so generous, may just feel kind of guilty of like, oh, this person's taking me to Mexico. I you know, have this running tab of how much I might owe this person. When in fact, you're just saying, I really value this and I value having you there. And so please come along. And I'll make sure that you're able to do that financially. So I hope that makes sense of just having the deeper conversation, even though it feels incredibly uncomfortable and I'm not trying to skip over that have the deep conversation, make the long-term choice to really dig into the details because it will help you so much as you're going through the years of your relationship. Totally. And I definitely didn't do that. I think we had been dating for probably a little over three years at that point. And I, I yeah, I just assumed that I was like, nope, I, I want to do this. And we never really talked about why it was important to me or anything. So um, definitely a lesson learned, which is totally okay with me. Off the top of your head, what would you say are the three most important things millennials or people in that 20 to 30 year old age range need to know about finance? Sure. So number one is student loans. Um, if you don't have any, you can disregard this one, but most of us do. And I certainly do. My husband still does. Um, knowing how much you owe, what your lender is, and what your repayment options are, and then creating a solid plan to repay that debt is incredibly important. I am not in the camp of someone who says that you need to repay that debt as soon as humanly possible. There are certain reasons why you might do that. And for instance, if you have the value of being debt-free, that is important and you should absolutely pursue it. 
but knowing the facts. What do I have? What's the interest rate? What's the lender? What's my repayment program options is so, so important. And I have to say over the last couple of years, the federal student loan website, while it's still a federal website and kind of cumbersome, has gotten a lot better at helping people understand all of the options available. I would say that most colleges, including the one I went to, do people a deep disservice at not explaining what your repayment options are and what the ramifications are if you don't actually repay your debt. The story that often comes to mind for me is um, my husband went to art school. It was a private college. And a lot of people left that college feeling like their degree was pretty worthless. And we were chatting with one of his um, former uh, art school colleagues at a wedding. And he said, oh, I just hate my degree that I got from this organization. And I don't think I should have to repay this debt. So I just decided that I'm not going to do it. And I'm not picking up the phone when creditors call. And when I move apartments, I'm not going to give them the new address. And I'm sitting there thinking, you do realize that they will find you. <laughs> Like you, you just, you, unless you're in the CIA, like questionable logic from this, like what? Questionable logic. <laughs> yeah. I was like, you're not going to escape and instead make some different decisions. So for instance, my husband also feels this way. Like he didn't get the value out of his degree and this school, which I won't name has been in the paper and been in the news many times for the way that they've kind of defrauded their students. And so instead of not paying off these loans, we've applied for different programs that allow students who feel like they did not get their education's worth and that their school lied to them in certain ways. There are ways to get your loans repaid through those methods. It takes a little longer, but it's a cleaner process. So that's number one. Number two off the top of my head is, I know, I can hear it already. People are going to groan at me. Budgeting. Budgeting is so vital. And you can budget in whatever way you want. You can use what I like to use. I call it the cheaters method. I use mint.com, which is a place where you can connect all of your different financial accounts. And you can look at them in one place. You can use the app or you can go on the website and see all of your different transactions all of your different accounts, all of your different bills that are due, and it will even categorize your expenses for you. So it will kind of get you about 80% of the way to creating a budget. You just have to categorize some of those miscellaneous expenses that Mint doesn't know about. And just being on track with your money, knowing what's going in and what's going out, and having a broader sense of where all that money is going is incredibly important. Whether or not you're strict on saving every receipt or putting it into an Excel doc, that is your decision. You know your money preference. But so many people have no idea where their money is going. And when you have conversations like the one you were talking about um, with your former partner of about going on a vacation and you just say, I can't afford that, but you don't really know where your money is going, it's hard to have that conversation because do you really know if you can afford it? Are you spending more money at Starbucks than it would take to go on a trip to Mexico? I mean, that is more common than you might think. Um, number three, I would say emergency funds are number three. It's really, really important that you know how to build up a safe account for yourself um, that can be there for those times of trouble or even just those little incidental costs that you weren't aware were going to come your way. And you can build that up slowly over time. In graduate school, I started out with $25 per month going to that account, and I honestly thought I was never going to make it through the month with having to put that much money away, but I found it easier and easier every time. And now that I have a full-time job and I've been in my job for a while, I've been slowly increasing that amount. And it's been wonderful to begin to see that account grow. And you should do that even if you're repaying debt. I think so often people assume, I'm repaying debt. I have so much of a debt burden. I can't put any money away. 
But the thing is, you will still have crises happen to you, small or large, whether you're repaying debt or not. So having some of that money set aside, even just $1,000 to help cover those incidental costs, is going to allow you to get that repayment strategy on track and not be thrown over by that $250 car deductible because um, you know some guy hit you while you're at a stoplight. Um, it will allow you to really keep that debt repayment plan on track. And if I can add a quick number four, saving for retirement is vital. And the sooner you can start, the better. And I believe me, I'm not your grandpa or your mom or your dad telling you that. I'm somebody who's close to your age and it can feel impossible. But make sure you're meeting that employer match because otherwise you're leaving free money on the table. And just start small. Even if it's just putting away 1% of your paycheck and growing it over time, it will add up and it will make a difference. That's great advice. And I just want to ask, I'm someone who's like really not that great at budgeting. I've tried and I, I don't know, I feel like I, you know, can't do it. Um, what's your advice for someone like me who really just needs to sit down and keep going and trying to stick to it? Because I, I sometimes I just feel really overwhelmed by it. Yeah, I can understand how it feels overwhelming for sure. I think for a lot of people it does. I think the current stats say that about a third of Americans have a budget that they stick to. So you're certainly not alone in that category. But I would say focus less on the details of where exactly is every part of my money going. You might do that for a short period of time. For instance, if you're trying to find more money to put towards a vacation or put towards debt, it's good to really zero in and find those extra dollars. But if you just want to get a general sense of what, what is going on with your money, using an app like Mint or You Need a Budget, there's so many out there where you can just subtly check in. Like something I used to do is when I would go into a coffee shop in graduate school, because I used it even then, I've used it for years and years, I would just check in with the app. Where am I at? Okay, so got a little money left. That's good. Um, I'm just going to you know, buy this coffee with a friend now. I don't feel guilty about it. So I would say taking a more casual approach is certainly a good idea. And there are so many financial coaches like myself that are good at helping people get set up and on track. Um, another piece that I would say too for those, and I don't know if this applies to you, is a lot of people get stuck with budgeting because they're more visual thinkers than they are um, uh, numbers thinkers. They don't like looking at all of the numbers on a page. It kind of makes them anxious. If that's the case, using an app that has more visual preferences, Mint does, or if your partner, for instance, is more of a budgeter and you can't even figure out how to get into it, have them create some charts for you. Have them create some pie charts, some graphs, some visual ways for you to see where you are at in terms of the month. I used to work with a couple that was like this, where the man in the relationship loved all the numbers to death and he put in every single expense in their Excel spreadsheet and she was just looking at him dazed and confused. And it's because she's a visual thinker. And once he started using Excel's capabilities to create some graphs and charts for her so she could see where everything was at throughout the month and he updated it on their whiteboard that they had in their kitchen so she could see it every day, it made her feel so much better. And it made her feel like she was invested involved in their financial life. That's great advice. Um, are, is there any other resources that you like? You mentioned Mint and you need a budget. Are there anything maybe someone who's a beginner at finance should take a look at? Yeah, that's a really, really good question. I would say definitely start with Mint. They have a lot of little suggestions that they give along the way. You need a budget is very good. I know that it's not you know, a resource that someone could pick up, but the student loan website is very, very, very good for helping dig into student loan debt. Um, 
trying to think through the people that I have liked best. There's a book, I haven't read it yet, but I've heard it from many people that the index card is a really good resource to look into as well. The whole goal of that book is that you can fit everything you need to know about your financial life on just one index card. And it goes through how you can figure out kind of where those numbers are and putting them on that index card for yourself so that financial literacy doesn't feel difficult. It's something that is attainable, something you can really get after. So uh, the one thing I often will leave couples with is some different icebreakers to talk about money, whether you're early on a relationship or even if you've been married for a long time and you're nervous about talking to your partner about this for the first time. These are a couple of questions that I use. The first question is, what is your favorite memory about money from growing up? I find that if you bring people back to their childhood, they're a lot more um, comfortable with speaking about money because it's a memory that they have. It was, you know, and the focus is on probably their parents and what their parents maybe did, and it's less the onus on them or choices that they've made. So starting there, I think, is always a good idea. And then the other way that I have people approach it, too, is visualizing the future. So what do you want your life to look like in 5, 10, 15 years? You pick the time range and giving you and your partner space to draw out or write out what you're hoping your life will look like and then sharing that together. And instead of just you know, listening so that you can see all the differences in you and your partner's visions, which I understand that's very easy to do, act like a journalist writing a story about your partner. Ask detailed questions. Pretend like you're going to have to recreate this vision. So ask detailed enough questions so that you can see it, so that you are a part of that vision. It's like you're sitting there with your partner in this vision of that life. And have them do the same for you. And once you have a clear understanding of the vision, then begin talking about non-negotiables and the whys behind the what of why those different things are included in your vision and how these two different visions go together. One thing I often tell couples is that you don't have to share every goal that your partner has. When the two become one, so to speak, and you get married, uh, that does not mean that you share every single goal or every single vision. In fact, I think it's really wonderful for couples to have some shared goals and some separate ones as well. So understanding what's going to be shared and what's going to be separate and maybe even forming some separate accounts to allow some of those dreams to come to fruition is always a good thing. If you wanna focus more on today, again, I would also dig into what's the best way you've used money lately? Or when money comes through your life, what's the first thing you wanna do with it? Spend it, save it, or give it? Or even kind of taking a fun approach of if you got $1,000 randomly in the mail, how would you use it? Using those types of icebreakers gets people comfortable talking about money. And if you're the more financially minded partner, be sensitive to what your partner has to say. In the first couple conversations, just Listen, ask good questions, don't pounce. If your partner says that they want to spend that $1,000 and you think they're spending it in a way that is superfluous, don't say it. <laughs> Listen and see what's behind it because it's very, very important that you give that more financially anxious or maybe less financially literate person a space to talk about their finances and the ways that they view it so that they can feel more trusted in the future and feel like they have a stake in the game. Remember, if you are married or you've moved in together and joined accounts, your money is now our money. If your accounts are joined, they belong together. So the two of you have just as much of a stake in how the money is used, whether your partner is financially minded or not.
And how can people find you and get a hold of you if they want to use your services? Or first of all, I guess, what do you offer? <laughs> that's a better yeah. question. So the services that I offer right now, I offer a marriage and money session. So if you listen to this conversation and you're like, oh man, I'm getting engaged or I'm already married, my husband and I, or whatever your relationship orientation is, we need to get on the same page about money. Absolutely contact me. I have a two hour session that includes a marriage and money assessment where we take a look at your financial history from growing up. We talk a little bit about where you are at today, some of your money beliefs and values. It takes a while to fill out the survey. It's about 25 minutes, but I'll meet your answers together and see where you have financial agreement or alignment and see those growth areas that you have and give you some questions that you can talk about both in our session and outside of it. So it's a great way to get started on money date nights if you've never done it before. The other thing that I offer is a big goal strategy session. And what this does is for those of you who might say, I've got to repay this debt, or I want to save up for this big vacation. I'm just not sure how to do it. I can't even figure out how much money I'll need. That's what this session is for. It's to help you break down the details of what you're going to need to do to make that big goal a reality. I actually tested the big goal strategy session on my husband. His big goal right now is to get a Jeep that can become an overland vehicle so he can go on overlanding adventures around the country and be able to sleep in a rooftop tent on the Jeep. I'll join him sometimes. He'll go alone sometimes. And I kept finding that he was saying, oh, someday if I can ever get this Jeep, if it can ever happen. And I'm sure we all have goals like that in our life. And I said, well, let's break it down. Let's sit down, let's figure out the details and figure out how we can make this happen. And I'm happy to say that in about a year and a half, we will be getting this Jeep and it'll be a reality. And I know that's going to be a happy day for my spouse. The other thing that I offer, um, which I would say is probably my primary offering, is my date night club. And what you get from me is an email every month with content to talk about during your date night, some questions, some icebreakers, as well as some questions on a specific topic. So we might be looking at goal setting, we might be looking at budgeting, we might be looking at how you balance multiple financial priorities, and a video that you can watch together. The goal is that you already have a script so that when you're going into this money date night, you don't have to be nervous about what you're going to talk about, especially if you're less financially minded and you're worried you might say the wrong thing. This gives you all the information you need all you've got to do is set the tone. And I promise to make it fun and casual, and it's something that you can finish in a half hour to an hour, depending on how much you want to talk about that specific topic. And that offering of Date Night Club is only $15 per month. So it's pretty um, inexpensive for folks who just want to get started, give it a try, see how it works for them. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Shit You Need to Know podcast. As I mentioned before, Grace's information will be all in the show notes so you can contact her for all of your financial needs. Stay tuned for this week for another edition of 15 Minute Fridays and have a great 4th of July. Go America, I guess. Thanks for listening to the Shit You Need to Know podcast. I've set up a phone number in case you have a question you need answering or just want to talk. Feel free to give me a ring at 301-941-7448. That's 301-941-SHIT. Also, don't give me a ring. No one does that. You can text the number too. I don't know why I said ring. If you enjoyed this episode of the Shit You Need to Know podcast, feel free to subscribe on iTunes and rate it five stars. 